0: Here's what's ahead of us today on abounding grace. Everything begins with a decision to obey God. That decision might need to be made right after that one, another one, and another one, and another one. But it all begins with a decision. You know, let me tell you this. You know, backsliding and disobedience, that also begins with a decision. And I'm so grateful for the heritage in the scriptures that we have of men and women making decisions to obey. And that's where Solomon is here. He makes a decision to build and he begins the work, eventually completing it. And it's always good to, to think big and make, make the decisions. You know it's always good to think big. And as a believers, I would, I would encourage you to dream big for the things of the Lord.
1: This is amazing) grace. time for Abounding Grace. We'll hand things over to Pastor Ed Taylor in a second, who today picks up where we left off in 1 Kings. In obedience to the Lord, Solomon is about to begin building the temple. And Ed wants us to notice that everything begins with the decision to obey God. Maybe that's something you really need to hear today. Turn, if you would, to 1
0: Kings 6 and join us. Now those of you that keep up on news, especially the news in the Middle East, you may have read recently that the UNESCO organization voted and concluded that the Temple Mount area has no connection to Israel whatsoever. And I thought that was interesting uh, as it's sitting in Israel right now in Jerusalem. But it was a political decision. It is not just a political decision, though. It's also an anti-Semitic decision. And it has no basis in reality. And it shouldn't surprise us that we would see a wave of anti-Semitism, which is a uh, technical way of saying an anti-Jewish perspective. Anti-Semite, anti-Jewish. There are churches and theologies that are anti-Semitic. There are people that are anti-Semitic. There are organizations that are anti-Semitic. And now UNESCO uh, votes to say that the Temple Mount area has no connection to Israel whatsoever. Anti-Semitism is so common, and it's become so acceptable, so in your face, that we may not even recognize it anymore. The, The way that our society and culture has twisted things around. But it comes to us from the beginning. You can jot it down in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 14. Anti-Semitism, that's where it starts. Right there at the fall. Right there in the garden. Notice, the Lord God said to the serpent, "'Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. And on your belly you should go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life.' And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. The singular use of the phrase her seed in the entire scriptures. Because, you know, the seed for a child comes from the male. But this is a very technical phrase here, her seed. Her seed refers to Messiah, the coming Savior, That there would be animosity and enmity between the devil, the demonic realm, and everyone under the sway of the devil, and everything against everything coming of the coming Messiah, which would come through the Jewish nation. The enmity between the seeds, the devil versus Israel. And this verse helps to explain Satan's bloodthirsty desire to kill the coming Messiah by trying to wipe out the Jewish race on more than one occasion. If you're taking notes, you can follow it in the Bible. In the very beginning, Cain kills Abel. Then Pharaoh wants all the male children of Israel killed. Then Haman, he launches a failed attempt to kill the Jews. Herod, he wants all the babies in Jerusalem killed. There's a storm, you'll recall. We often look at it, that storm on the Sea of Galilee, the disciples are going to the other side, who else is on that boat? Jesus, sleeping, resting. We'll often look to that section of scripture as some really great principles of trusting in the Lord. And if God says you're going to get to the other side, you're going to get to the other side. And there's peace in the storm, and there's rest in the storm. Those are all great applications. But you know what? That storm on the Sea of Galilee was an attempt to wipe the Messiah out. I mean, it's all over the scriptures, and it's all over our world today. It wasn't just the storm on Galilee, but it was the wooden Roman cross where Messiah was nailed. Yeshua hanging there, suffering and dying for the sins of the world. And how the devil must have been happy. How the demonic realm and all the followers must have been so satisfied because in his mind... He's accomplished what he's been trying to do for thousands of years, and that is wipe out the Messiah, only to be wiped out himself three days later when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Anti-Semitism is demonic. You need to understand that. The Bible teaches it very clearly. And as we open to 1 Kings chapter 6, I want you to notice something tied together with the UNESCO vote. Because we can just look over those types of things and, and, you know, get mad about it politically and be upset that another dumb decision is made and what's happening to our world. And I I just want to train you to turn to the scriptures so that the Lord might minister to your heart, uh, especially in these areas that are backwards and upside down. The Bible, the Bible has an answer for everything. The Bible says that we are told that we're given all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, and I, I want you to see in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, it came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month that he began to build the house of the Lord. This is one of those timestamps. That's what it is. It's a Spirit-inspired timestamp that we know exactly when Solomon began to build this temple, and we know exactly where Solomon was to build this temple, the exact area of where the Temple Mount is right now. So here we are in the life of Solomon in a verifiable historical document It is a document that's filled with historical accuracy. And we are given insight on when the temple was begun to be built. The year is actually around 971. The time period is 971 to 931 BC. Rooted in history. Rooted in the history of Israel. That the Temple Mount area is associated with Israel. I mean, we could go back all the way to Genesis and Abraham and we could work our way through but as you're reading through the scriptures it's simple things like this that you don't need to be politically convinced Uh, you don't need to pull out a history book the Bible can answer the question for you so when we ask the question was UNESCO accurate in their voting from the people that that abstained and stayed out of it but the people that came in by according to the historical document known as the Bible is their vote accurate or not? No. No. I just want to settle that for you. Let's go on to our Bible study. <laughs> Verse 2. Now the house of which King Solomon built for the Lord, its length was 60 cubits, its width 20, and its height 30 cubits. The vestibule in front of the sanctuary of the house was 20 cubits long across the breadth of the house, and its width extended 10 cubits from the front of the house. And he made for the house windows with beveled frames. The building of the temple began somewhere between 931, 971, around 966 B.C. would take about seven years to complete. And using these dates, if we went backwards, we could conclude that Exodus took place around 445 to 1445 to 1446 B.C. And the building of the temple is tied directly to the powerful hand of God in the Exodus. And that's what he does in verse 1. And when the When Israel had come out of the land of Egypt, and God is very carefully now tying the building of the temple to the delivery of God in the Exodus. His deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt was one out of bondage and slavery. And with the building of the temple now, in this season of their history, Israel will have an opportunity, like never before in her history, to realize the purpose for which God had formed and freed nation. God's desire is to draw all people to himself, and the temple will be used as a tool to do just that. You know, we just got back from Israel, working through all of our jet lag, and one of the stops that we always stop at is a place uh, right overlooking the Western Wall, uh, because they've moved locations now, known as the Temple Institute. The Temple Institute is a group of people that are determined to rebuild the temple, um, rebuild it in much more glory than even Solomon's temple. They, they desire to rebuild the temple in such great glory and grandeur, and they believe that the temple itself will be the salvation of the world. It's a very interesting place to go. They used to have these young guides uh, these interns give us the tour. It's now all fancy now and electronic, and they don't let you ask questions anymore. And they don't let, uh, you would always ask questions in a way to share the gospel with the kids and, and try to bring them to their thinking of some of the things they would say. And I remember the last time we went when there was a guide. It was a young lady. She was so excited about how the temple would be the uniting force around the world. There wasn't any mention of God. There wasn't any mention of the Shekinah glory of God. There wasn't even any mention our emphasis upon the sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. It was the building. They're caught up today on the building. They, they want the building to be rebuilt. They're going to, I, you know, we know according to the scriptures that there will be a temple rebuilt. It's uh, when we're standing on one of our stops up on the Mount of Olives overlooking the eastern gate, uh, one of the things I remind everybody is that behind me uh, with the, the big golden dome marks the largest conflict and difficulty in the entire world today. Of all the things that are going on, that little piece of property has the largest conflict. Well, it's on that little piece of property that Solomon is building his temple. And he's, God is connecting this temple to the deliverance of Egypt. But what he's not doing is making the temple the emphasis. It's not the temple that's important. It's the God of the temple. And we can never forget that. We can never forget that in our day and age. It's not the temple itself, but it's the temple connecting you to the God who has worked throughout history. And in this case, it was the temple, a place of worship, that would connect the people to their deliverance from Egypt all the way back to the Garden of Eden. I mentioned that for us. You know, we don't worship in a temple. We worship in a concrete box, basically, this building of ours. Before this, we spent seven years worshiping in an uh, odd-shaped cafeteria at Columbia Middle School with colored chairs and food on the walls. And I'm glad that we started that way. I know some of you are with us, many of you were not. But I'm so grateful we started that way because of the foundation of our congregation was built upon the premise that the building doesn't matter. And it's very important for us to understand that. The building in which we worship doesn't matter. It doesn't need to be ornate. It doesn't need to be fancy. It can be anything. We can worship in a storefront. We can worship in a school. We can worship in a home. We can worship in a room. We can worship in a car. It doesn't matter where you worship because it's not about the building. Now, those of you that have joined us later after we built the building or after we have added this or put this in or, you know, because whenever we're doing things as a church, we've always been discipled and trained to just do what we can and wait for the rest. Just do what you can. It's a great way to run your home. You know, don't overextend yourself. Don't go into deep consumer debt. Just do what you can and pray for the next. And that's what we've done. We just, we'll get in and we do what we can. And we were able to put up a a wall, you know, four walls and a floor and a downstairs and little parking lot. And then we would add what we can as the Lord will provide. And we made specific decisions that we didn't want a fancy building. We wanted a cheap building. As cheap as possible—not cheap like it's going to fall over, but inexpensive. How's that? Marie calls me a cheapskate. She's wrong. I like to be frugal. I call it frugal, right? Frugal. So we made some decisions. I I even think of—I even think of moving from the school into the building. I even think, you know, all the stuff on the outside, all the stucco, all the rocks. We didn't even want that, but the city made us put it on. The city made us do a lot of things, but that's a different Bible study altogether. As you're studying the temple, as you think about the worship of the children of Israel, and you attach it to your own worship, remember, it is not about the building. In our culture, somehow, for some reason, uh, buildings seem to lead some kind of credibility to churches. But I want you to know that if a church is meeting in a school, they're just as much a school, a church and a school than they are in another building doesn't make them less. Or church is meeting in a community rec center or an apartment or in a pool that has no water in it. The church is the people, not the building or the location. I was amazed personally that when we moved from the school into this building, the church grew so rapidly. And I believe the reason that the church grew so rapidly is the building lied to people And said, oh, now, that church is a real church. They don't meet in the school anymore. They're a real church. And you're like, no, we've always been a real church. It's not, you don't become a real church when you grow up one day. A church, if I grow up one day, maybe I'll I'll have a building. That's not, you know, so many pastors are a little discouraged right now because they're meeting in a school or they're meeting in a, listen, if you're a pastor meeting in a school right now, you're watching online, you're listening to the radio, you are a real church, all right? I just want you to know that. You're a real church. You go, Ed, that's so dumb. Why would you say that? Hey, way back when, when I was answering the church phone, on my cell phone, in driving around Aurora, um, I, I would answer the phone, and it would, I knew it would be, I had, a, I had my, uh, all the calls forwarded to my cell phone, and so I just answered my cell phone, Calvary Chapel, and I was, I answered the phone one day, and a lady called up, and, and uh, she said, hey, is this uh, Calvary Chapel, the, the, the one on the radio, and I said, yeah, and she says, well, where are you meeting? You know, what are your service times and all that? And I'm driving down Parker Road. And I go, well, you know, we meet at Columbia Middle School at 10 a.m. And, and you get this way and you turn this way. And she said, Columbia Middle School? And I said, yeah, yeah, Columbia Middle School. You guys meet in Columbia, Columbia Middle School? And I said, you know, I'm taking a breath. I'm like, yes, we meet at Columbia Middle School. And, and she said something like, well, I thought you guys were a real church. <laughs> You're laughing, but it completely crushed me. I, I didn't know what to do. Uh, it's, it stumbled me. I really, like, I was concerned, are we a real church? I mean, straight it was, it was real. And Pastor Gino Geraci, when I moved here, he and I became friends very early on. Uh, he told me, hey, man, if you ever need anything, uh, you just call me or come on over. Well, this one wasn't a call. I needed to come on over. So I made a turn on Parker Road and went off, and, and man, I shot off the other side of town, and I went looking for Gino Geraci. Because, I, I'm, I mean, if we're not a real church, then what am I doing? Legit, legitimately, I was feeling that. And so I went in, and, and Gino happened to be there that day. And, and he says, come on in, Ed. How you doing? I said, man, I'm not doing so good. Not good at all. He goes, well, what's wrong? Well, you won't believe it, man. But this lady just said we weren't a real church. And he says, really? I said, yeah. I gave him the whole story. And he says, well, Ed, are people getting saved in that school? And I said, no, not really. We haven't seen a lot. I mean, maybe one or two. He says, okay, that's good. One or two. And he says, are marriages being healed? And I said, well, you know, we've seen a few marriages just really thrive. And, and our kids being taught the Bible. And I said, oh man, children's ministry in that school, it's, it's loud and it's crazy, but it's awesome. The kids are learning about Jesus. And, and, uh, and so he went through a series of it. And then finally he says, well, Ed, you're a church. You may go now. And that was it. And so thank you, God, that we're a church, and thank you, Gino Geraci. (laughs) But you just need that word of encouragement sometimes. You need to be affirmed in what God is doing in your life. But if you attach everything to something other than God's will and God's design, you will be easily discouraged. The church is not the building. This church is not this building. This church, you know, with the exception of the kiddos running around in the school, you know, you can't really say that when the kids are in session. But when the, in summertime, when the kids aren't here, man, it is quiet. This building is pretty much empty. The sanctuary is always empty during the week. But when you guys show up, 5, 6, 10, you come together and you begin to hear the voices talking and fellowshipping. You begin to see the people praying together, even before the service ever starts you come up and show up on the property and you help somebody with, their, with whatever they're bringing in. You kind of help them carry their load and you bring it in for them. The church shows up to the building. The building is not the church. And it's important for us to grasp that because the temple could become something that's idolatry to the children of Israel, just like other things can be idolatrous to us. And as Solomon is fulfilling his dad's desire out of obedience to the Lord, he makes the decision to build. And everything begins with a decision. Everything begins with a decision to obey God. That decision might need to be made right after that one, another one, and another one, and another one. But it all begins with a decision. You know, let me tell you this. The decision of backsliding and the decision of disobedience, everything begins, you know, backsliding and disobedience, that also begins with the decision. And I'm so grateful for the heritage in the scriptures that we have of men and women making decisions to obey. And that's where Solomon is. He makes a decision to build. When he begins the work, eventually completing it. And it's always good to, to think big and make Make the decisions. You know, it's always good to think big. And as a believers, I would, I would encourage you to dream big for the things of the Lord. I mean, outside of your capability, outside of your bank account, outside of your, your, your even what you can conceive, begin to dream big and start making small decisions in that direction. And be faithful. You know, a lot of times I'll meet people that are waiting for something big, but they're just sitting on their hands. He so, says, well, what are you doing? Well, you know, one day it's such and such is going to happen. I, I, yeah, but, but, but you're doing nothing right now. I know, because I'm waiting for that day. You're waiting for that day. And I'm like, no, no, that's not how God operates. God operates by being, giving more to those that are faithful and then taking away from those that are faithless. And so I'm glad that he makes a decision to build here, that dimensions are given to us, it says in verse 5 that against the wall of the temple, he built chambers all around, against the walls of the temple all around, both the sanctuary and the inner sanctuary, and thus he made the side chambers all around it. The lower chamber was five cubits wide. The middle was six. The third was seven. And he made narrow ledges around the outside of the temple so that the support beams would not be fastened into the walls of the temple, verse 7. Verse 7. The temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry so that there was no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. The doorway was the middle story for the middle story was on the right side of the temple and they went up by the stairs to the middle story and from the middle to the third. So he built the temple and finished it and he paneled the temple with beams and boards of cedar and he built side chambers against the entire temple, each five cubits high, and they were attached to the temple with cedar beams. So you're looking at about 90 feet by 30 feet by 45, which would, doing the math, you'd come to about 2,700 square feet. So those of you that are in a home of, you know, 1,300, 1,400 square feet, it would be double that. Uh, if you're in a home, 23, 2,400 square feet, it's about that size. It wasn't very big, uh, but it was bigger than what they had, which was nothing. <laughs> and it was going to be the place that would draw attention to God. This is
1: Abounding Grace, and you're listening to a message from pastor and Bible teacher Ed Taylor. Request a CD copy when you give us a call at eight seven seven three zero 30 grace That's eight seven seven three zero four. 304 7223, or go online to calvaryaurora.org. Again, we're at calvaryaurora.org. If you haven't already downloaded the free Calvary Aurora and Grace FM Colorado apps, simply search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. This is a great way to take in a steady dose of God's Word. Here in the month of October, we've picked out an excellent book written by Gene Edwards called A Tale of Three Kings. This bestseller features the stories of three kings, David, Saul, and Absalom. We've all been hurt by the words or actions of another, even by Christians. And it's at such times we can be left confused, angry, even bitter. Allow the Lord to bring hope and healing into your life as you read a tale of three kings, a study in brokenness. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And please remember, it's through your financial support that we're able to come to you day by day on this station. Your gift, whatever the size, would be greatly appreciated. Reach us toll free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. Don't miss our next study in the Word next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing
0: grace.